I'm not afraid to say it. I don't think it's really a secret. Conservative events can typically be pretty stuffy, boring, stale. Even if I did not work for TPUSA, I would tell you that Turning Point USA events are pretty much the only exception in the entire conservative movement when it comes to events. Just ask your favorite commentators what their favorite event is to speak at. They'll say Turning Point USA every time. And almost certainly, if she's a female speaker, she will say the Young Women's Leadership Summit happening June 9th through 11th in Dallas, Texas. Every year is a different theme, a new vibe. There are confetti cannons and a DJ in between speakers. Girls will be screaming and jumping up and down like they're at the freaking Eras tour. But this is for people like Candace Owens, Laura Trump, Erica Kirk, and Kaylee McEnany, to name a few. The theme this year is 70s because I'll be talking about the huge cultural lies women have been told by the feminist movement, which really ramped up in the 70s. So grab your bell box and meet me in Dallas, June 9th through 11th. Find tickets and all kinds of event info I couldn't fit into this ad by going to tpusa.com slash YWS and use code POPLITICS. That's tpusa.com slash YWS with code POPLITICS for a discount on your tickets. All ages are welcome. Do a mother-daughter thing. Do a friend group thing. Whatever. But only a certain amount of attendees will make it because there's only so much room. Take the plunge. I can't wait to meet you. What do you think heaven will be like? I've always pictured some sort of community built on clouds with gold paved streets, colors so bright our human brains can't even comprehend them, zoo animals, and maybe like a telescope where angels go to look at what's happening on Earth on a little lookout station. That's kind of the fun and lighthearted conversation to be had when it comes to the end times. But it's when people start talking about the rapture and what actually happens at the end of the world when the Antichrist is ruling that people, at least in my experience, tend to get so freaked out that they change the conversation. There's a lot of healthy debate, even amongst believers, on how literal certain events depicted in the book of Revelation are. I invited a mutual friend of both mine and Ali Beth Stuckey's to discuss his theology and eschatology. He is a blogger, pro-life advocate, public speaker, and his specialty— is writing and speaking about cultural issues from a biblical perspective. What is going to happen at the end of the world? He says a lot of things in this episode that I have genuinely never heard in my life, so maybe you haven't either. I also know that a lot of topics we discuss today are contended, and there's a good chance, almost a certain chance, that you'll have your own strong opinions on them. Do me a favor, have these discussions in the Cute Servitives Facebook group and leave your five-star reviews, talk about them there so that everyone can see and interact with them. Now, let's hear from Samuel Say, a.k.a. Slow to Write, to The Spillover. Samuel, before we get into the end times, which everybody is wanting to hear, I feel like we should probably start with your own story of not only how you became a Christian and got saved, but also how you became known as this theology guy on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I became a Christian uh, when I was 19. I was raised by uh, my mom, who is a Christian. I was raised in the church. I truly can't count. I I never really miss church. Uh, If I was sick, my mom would say, well, Hey, if you're going to die, it's best if you die at church than anywhere else. So like you're, you're going. Um, but I wasn't a Christian until, I mean, even though I was 
you know, raised in a Christian household, I didn't really become a true Christian, a born again Christian until when I was 19, when I heard the gospel that I'd heard my whole life. But this time it just clicked at a young, it was actually at a young adult retreat. So some good things happened at young adult retreats. At those <laughs> yeah. youth groups. Yeah, those, yeah. So I heard the gospel, uh, became a, a believer, and then I had a passion for uh, for theology, a passion for for writing, and I wanted to really help people develop a love for theology the way that I uh, I do. So I created my blog, Slow to Write, um, 2015, which is now, wow, eight years ago. Wow. And um, yeah, since then, I guess people uh, recognize that I do address cultural issues from biblical theology. So uh, I don't know if I'm seen as a theology guy, but I do address that quite a lot. I would so. say so. He's been, you've been on <laughs> Ali Stuckey's uh, podcast, Relatable, and things like yeah. that, which is fantastic. We love yeah. Ali here on The Spillover. How would you uh, describe your church background? Hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was raised in a hyper-charismatic movement. When I say hyper-charismatic— Snakes. Okay, not quite—not <laughs> not, not, not to that level, not to that level. But, like, you know, like— this is an African Pentecostal like church, so it it can get crazy. I was raised in that environment, but then um, a year after becoming a Christian, I actually became a Baptist, a Reformed Calvinist uh, Baptist. So that is my background when it comes to my theology. And how would you identify your theology now? Would you still say that you're a Reformed Calvinist? Yeah, I'm a Reformed Calvinist. Uh, since you mentioned Ali, I would fall very closely with Ali when it when it comes to our theology. Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a really good reference point, I think, for us to know. What do you believe the definition of a Christian is? Ooh. Uh, well, as I hinted at earlier, it is not somebody who simply goes to church. It's not somebody who is simply raised in a Christian environment. It's somebody who truly follows Christ. That's what the word means, right? To be a Christian is to follow Christ. It really means to, um, to believe that Christ is God. That he he that he was born um, through a virgin birth, uh, Mary. That he's a sinless, righteous God, a fully God yet fully man, um, and that on the cross he died for our sins and rose again for our justification. And that that resurrection was physical, um, and that he he um, ascended to heaven, and then he's right now um, interceding for for Christians, and that he will return. Um, that's a short, brief summary of what it means to be a Christian, but it really means to believe what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, to be frank, a lot of conservatives sometimes will say they're Christians, but they really mean it from a cultural yes. point of view and not really from a personal view. Yeah, I would agree. And there are also a lot of sects of Christianity. So there's Baptists, there's Lutherans, there's Pentecostals, Catholics, Calvinists. Can any one of these sects still be saved despite the varying theologies of these denominations or no? Absolutely. Um, so Baptists, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Methodists, there are very small differences. It's, it's really uh, the main difference is how we do church. But in terms of what we believe about Christ and the gospel, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. But then you do have others that say they're Christians, but they're not. <laughs> uh, and I will name names. You know, Go ahead, name names. It'd be Mormons. Um, they have a different Jesus. They do not believe Jesus is God. That is a fundamentally different religion than you have Jehovah Witnesses, mm -hmm. right, who also have a different view of Christ. So um, so there are some who are genuine Christians because, again, we are aligned on the core doctrines of Christianity. And then, the, then there are those who are not because they have a different view of Christ. Why is Christianity the only way when tons of religions exist? 
Yeah, um, that's a great question. It's the only way because, well, there's only one God, um, and there's only one gospel from, from God. A lot of other religions, all religions really, basically say that the only way for you, the, the, only, the, the point of, the only purpose in life is to be a good person. Mm-hmm. That there's really no hope. They don't really address the issue of um, life after death. They will talk about how, you know, just reincarnation, you know, in some of these views. Yeah, it's kind of glossed over. Exactly. But the reality is we all know there is a sin. Um, there, there's sin in this world. And if there's sin in this world, there has to be a punishment for sin. And it's not really going to be just with jail, right? Because jail uh, is is to punish, uh, prison, I, sh- I should say, is to punish crimes, not necessarily sin. Mm. But if, since God is righteous, since God is holy, he has to punish sin. And the only religion that really addresses that with true justice and with only hope for salvation is Christianity. Yeah. So all our religions really are saying the same thing, that you have to be a good person, where we say as Christians that it's impossible to be good. Romans 3, um, uh, the Apostle Paul says, there's no one good, not even one. The only hope is that there's one good person, that is Christ. And that if we believe in him, if we trust in him, we can be saved. One of the hardest things that I run into when I'm discussing Christianity is people who say, well, how do you know that the Bible is even true and it wasn't lost in translation after all of these years? I know we're doing a lot of basics, Bible Christianity basics, but I feel like that's important to establish what you believe before we start talking end times. Mm -hmm. That's really important. Um, I have complete trust in the scriptures because one, for example, we have manuscripts um, um, from the, the New Testament books, whether it's like the Gospel of John or Romans and Revelation and things like that. And we have manuscripts dating back from like 2,000 years ago. Mm. And when you look at those manuscripts, though they are in Greek or Latin or different languages, they are really identical to what we have today. So they're reliable. And then even in the Old Testament, we have um, also, again, manuscripts. Uh, we have scrolls, especially the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are, which also are completely accurate with what we have today. And those date back, I think, roughly 3,000 years ago. So when you have manuscripts uh, in different languages, whether it's Hebrew, Greek, Latin, or other, other um, um, languages, and they are really identical to what we have in the scriptures today, even though they're in English, shows that the Bible really is reliable, that it has not been doctored, it, has, it hasn't been changed, as some people, some people say. It is really accurate. And that really shows God's providence and um, and um, and the uniqueness and inspiration of the scriptures. Are some things in the Bible meant to be symbolism or is everything supposed to be very literal? There are some things that are um, symbolic and there's some things that's very, very, um, very literal. It depends on the context. Um, so, for example. Jonah and the whale. No, that is out. That's literal. He was in the he was in the whale. That's that's <laughs> literal. <laughs> that's literal. There are some who who think it, who think it's not, but I don't see any. If when you look at the way the book is written, it'd be very random if just that part happened to be symbolic when everything else reads as literal. Mm, yeah, um, it wouldn't make any sense. Um, so, and really, it's very foreign to the all of scripture in that way. Um, in terms of if it was symbolic. So it's it's literal. But there are, there are things like, um, for example, Christ says that if your eye or your hand causes you to sin, either gouge out your eyes or, or cut, cut it, it off. off. 
are we really supposed to be cutting out our eyes and cutting our hands off? <laughs> there have been some people who, unfortunately, because they have not understood what Christ meant in context, mm. that they've actually done that. Um, actually, I think it was an R&B singer several years ago who really just took out his eyes. It's oh pretty my crazy. Gosh. Um, you know, I think he was on drugs. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you, prob you probably have to be, you know, to do that on your own. Nevertheless, um, that's symbolic. That's yeah. basically, that's him saying, whatever tempts you to sin, do whatever you need to do to cut it off so that you would not be tempted to sin. Yeah. Um, so that's, so, so, so there are times where it's symbolic and there are times where it's literal. It depends on the context. How can we be sure that heaven is even real? Because we're talking about the end times today. We're talking about the afterlife. I do have specific questions about what heaven is going to be like. But what's the point of this conversation if we aren't even sure if it exists? Well, we know it's real because God is real. Uh, now, some atheists are going to say, <laughs> are going to say that's not true. But I, I, I really can't. Any argument that God is not real makes no sense to me. There's a very, there are very simple ways to address that, which is. Um, if you see a building, you don't just say, oh, how did this get there? You just know a builder built um, the building. In the same way, we have a universe, we have creation because God created it. So since God exists, heaven must exist. Um, you know, we are, you know, as humans, we know that death, death is not the norm. It's become the norm because of sin. But I, I was actually recently um, at, a, um, at a funeral and I saw this body um, um, there. And, I, and I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, that person is not there. The body is there, but it's, but their soul is mm -hmm. not there. So where are they going to be? They're, they're going to be either in heaven or in hell. Um, they're going to be in eternity because we are, uh, we are spirits. We are not primarily, now, of course, our bodies does matter too. And the gospel does address that one day, those who are in those who are in Christ will have a physical resurrection, just like Christ uh, has a physical resurrection and uh, have His glorified body. But heaven is heaven exists because God exists. It's impossible to say that God exists without without also acknowledging that if He exists and that we are made in His image, and that God, because He is eternal, and we are made in His image, means that we are not eternal, you know, in our own. But we have, um, in a sense, immortality. So we can't really die. Our bodies can die, mm -hmm. but our souls and spirits cannot die. But the reality is, where, where do we go? It's heaven or hell. I thought this was common knowledge, but apparently not. Before getting your makeup done professionally, you absolutely must prep your skin with skincare. Not always, but sometimes I get to have my makeup done professionally for things that we're shooting for YouTube. And it doesn't matter how expensive a foundation is or how skilled the person is at putting it on. If you don't set the stage beforehand with your skin, it's going to look like dog poopy. Did she just say poopy in an advertisement? Yes, I did. The other morning... The makeup artist I like to use was like, okay, what is going on? What are you doing differently? Because your skin looks extra juicy, plump, clear, hydrated, all the things. I was like, let me tell you the master combo, my trade secret, if you will. 
collagen powder every morning in my iced chai tea, and the Nimi retinol-infused moisturizer. I could do like a Billy on the Street style video just yelling at people to try this because I think it's that good. Nimi Skincare is openly conservative-owned. In fact, on the very front page of their website, they say that femininity, faith, family, and freedom are at the core of everything they do. Nimi is known for their simple three-step routines. There's an anti-aging line, vitamin C brightening line, and hydrating line. Now, I actually like to use uh, about one product from each, so I'm a bit of a hybrid myself, a little a little bit of a skincare mutt, if you will. I get asked a lot about the price point. It is superb. See for yourself at NimiSkincare.com. You can get a whole three-step line if you want for under $100. Plus, I have a discount code for you. Try Nimi today at NimiSkincare.com with code Alex Clark for 10% off. That's NimiSkincare.com with code Alex Clark for 10% off. N-I-M-I skincare.com with code Alex Clark for 10% off or check out the link in the show notes. So you bring up the realities of there's heaven and there's hell, but there's a lot of denominations of Christianity that say like, oh yes, of course, heaven is real, but not hell. Yeah. Like God would not, There, that wouldn't be... I don't know, something that God would do, send people to hell. Yeah. And what do you say to that? Well, um, I will give an example. Um, if, if, if somebody were generally, even leftist would say that generally, if you commit a crime, you should receive, uh, there should be justice over that generally. Um, well, the idea that God wouldn't send someone to hell is basically saying that a judge would be unjust, that they would be wrong for them to punish crime. Sin is a crime against God primarily. And if you sin against God, the reason why hell is forever, the reason why it's not temporary is because you've primarily sinned against an eternal God. Mm. Um, the Bible says that um, basically unbelievers will, will, will pay an account to God. What that means is, is that they've sinned in a way where they need to pay for that punishment, literally pay for it. Well, you can't pay for, you can't pay um, a temporary, uh, how do I say, you can't have a temporary punishment for an eternal sin. So hell is necessary because God is just, God has to punish sin. He can't simply ignore it. If he ignores that sin, then he is unjust. The same way that a judge who ignores um, a you know, murder would be unjust if it does not punish it. Is hell just the absence of heaven? Um, no, hell is actually the presence of God, but in his wrath. Mm. So we oftentimes say that um, whether hell is the absence of heaven or hell is the absence of God, but no, the more, frankly, the more terrifying thing about hell is that God is there except all of his kindness and his mercy and his grace is not there. It's just his wrath. Where heaven is, God is there too. God is present there too, obviously. But it's all of his goodness and his, and his, and his grace and his love for his people. I think that this subject and talking about what happens when we die, what happens at the end of the world, all of this can be really, really scary for people, even Christians. So how can somebody overcome their fear when it comes to listening to what's written about in the book of Revelation? You know, um, that's a good question. The The, the Bible, especially that book, um, uh, the Apostle John who wrote that book, 
is that he is saying he's writing these things to give us hope, not fear. When I first read it too, I was very fearful, but it's really meant to give us hope that essentially really God wins, that um, those who trust in him while we're going to have suffering in this world while this world will deal, uh, will suffer the wrath of God, that there will be injustice in many ways. Um, but the reality is, is that the book of Revelation is not for us to be fearful. Now, if you're not a believer, I have to be frank, if you're not a Christian, then yeah, <laughs> there is fear. Um, the Bible says that um, God, Christ said that do not fear those who can just kill the body, but fear the one who can kill the body and then throw um, their body into hell. Um, that is God saying you should fear him if you're not believing in him, if you're not repenting and trusting in Christ for your salvation. What is predestination? Is it biblical? And what does it mean when it comes to Christ's death and then his resurrection? Hmm. That's a great question. I mentioned earlier that I'm a Calvinist. Yes. A, a Calvinist basically means that I believe that God is completely sovereign. Um, which means that God is in complete control of everything. Um, in the Bible, um, um, I believe it's Proverbs, where um, the Bible says that um, that we make our plans, but it's the Lord who orders our steps. That basically means that, in a sense, we have free will, but even our free will is really bound by the sovereignty of God, in the sense that God controls everything. So when it comes to predestination, it really means that everything that happens is ordained by God. But and then the people that are that don't consider themselves to be Calvinists who are Christians, the free will thing, that's like a point of contention, right? Yeah. Explain yeah. that. So there are some to, to be fair, so um uh, Armenians would be the non-Calvinists. They believe that God is sovereign too. They would say that. Although they would say in a sense it's limited to our free will, which basically means that God is not sovereign, uh, is what I would say as an argument against them. But generally, um, you know, we all acknowledge that there is free will. But what I would say is that we, are, we have a free will, but we're bound by our nature in a sense that you're free to do whatever you want as a human, but you can't go past what your nature dictates. So, for example, I can't fly. I may have the free will to fly, but I can't because my nature um, 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 keeps Prevents me it. Exact from, from being able to do so. So in a, in a similar way, when, I, when we Calvinists say that we don't have free will, what we mean is that an unbeliever is, not, is someone who is dead in, in their soul, that they can't on their own choose God unless God himself chooses them first, which is why Christ, I think in John 17 says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Um, so predestination basically means that before the foundation of the world, which is um, Ephesians 1, that the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, before we were born, before the earth was created, God had already ordained that he would predestine some to salvation. And this is something that like people spend hours within Christianity debating, right? So it's not like, I mean, we could do a whole podcast yeah. episode on just that. And I know that some people disagree, but that's not, that's like a, a point of contention within Christianity. That's not, some of those people are going to go to heaven yeah. and some are. Yeah. It's just like a, I don't know. What do you say? Like, it's a, I don't know if stylistic is the right word, but it's, but that, but somebody who does not consider themselves to be Calvinist, but they are saved. Yeah. 
they're not going to not go to heaven, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. This is not something that would disqualify someone from being a Christian. Right. Okay. I That's what I want to establish. And yeah. by the way, I know that a lot of this, some of my listeners are going to be like, I know this. Let's get to the juice. But then <laughs> I'm thinking of my listeners who have never heard this before and yeah. how, you know, that's why I'm, I'm spending time with him to break this down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about what you, you know what you said. I was a Christian before I became a Calvinist, right? I didn't become a Christian when I was a Calvinist. So Calvinism is really just now, I think it's biblical. I think it's the correct view of seeing what the Bible says. Nevertheless, um, yeah, my mom, who is my hero in the faith, is an Armenian. Um, and that's okay. We just have a difference of opinion when it comes to that. Now we're getting into the juice. Okay. What signs will there be? To tell us that we're getting close to the end times. So <laughs> this is perhaps going to be the more the most controversial part of it our is? conversation. Yeah. Because in the same way that you have different kinds of Christians when it comes to denominations, you have Baptists, Presbyterians, Dutch Reformed, Methodists, all that stuff. You also have difference of opinions when it comes to the end times. Mm. So like purgatory and all those different things or even more. Um, Purgatory is more what Catholics believe. Right. Protestants do, do not believe in purgatory. Right. But I mean in terms of um, even the events leading up to Christ's return. I thought this was very clear. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, you're, I, you're telling me something new. Yeah. So you have several views of – you have um, I would say three main views when it comes to this thing. You have people like me. Um, which you know, we are, you know, a millennialist. Um, I'll explain that what that is very briefly. Uh, it can get very complicated, and I'm not even an expert on this, this stuff whatsoever. You have post millennialist, and then you have pre millennialist, um, who are also oftentimes, not all the time, but dispositionalist. I can tell from the question that a lot of, uh, I would say, perhaps most. Christians today tend to fall into the premillennialist, dispensationalist um, side. Basically, that's a left behind kind of thinking. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you if yes. one day we're going to wake up and there's going to be piles of yes. clothes everywhere yeah, in the public. Rapture, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, it's I don't take I don't hold that view. Okay. Um, uh, maybe most people today hold that view. Most Christians today probably hold that view, and I used to hold that view. But is that warped really by Christian culture? Movies like Left Behind. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't think, now some would disagree with me, but I don't think the Bible really says that. You want to know something hilarious? So I had an ex-boyfriend who, when his mom was mad and, you know, like he was getting in trouble when he was a little boy, he would put a pile of clothes, like somewhere in the living room or on the stairs or something, and he would like pout somewhere and hide and try to punish his mom by being like, look, I got raptured and you're left behind. Well, I'll add to, I'll add to that story. Um, when I did um, hold to that view of the rapture, um, I had... There, there was one night, it was just, I, I was working, um, I was working all night. It was a late shift and I just slept through the, like the entire day. I was exhausted. Oh no! I woke up and it was the stormy night and I couldn't find anybody in my neighborhood basically. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. And then I called the most Christian person I knew. Um, and when he picked up, I said, okay, if he's still here. <laughs> Then the rapture hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Um, if he had, if he didn't pick up, I would be, I would be, you know, quite uh, nervous. But I don't hold to that view. I know many people do. Okay. Um, but what I believe um, is that, and I would say, I think this is throughout church history. This has been generally the the, the norm uh, for Christians to believe. 
which is that we are living in the end times today, but we've been living in the end times really since Christ went to heaven. That at any moment, Christ can return. Um, That there aren't specific signs and wonders that need to happen before Christ returns. Um, You know, we don't know. So it's not like wars and all of this. No, no. I think... Um, some of the texts that people understand as saying that there needs to be a World War III of sorts um, for that you know, for Christ to return, the apocalypse and things like that. I don't believe that is accurate. Um, I think that the Bible does say that we are living in the end times now. And the Bible was written, at least when the Apostle Paul said that, it was 2,000 years ago. And the Apostle Paul was suggesting to um, his audience at that time that Christ could return at any moment, even in their time, 2000 years ago. So yeah, I, so time is running out. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe that Christ, there's nothing keeping Christ from coming back tonight. Um, but yet it could also be another 2000 years. Um, we don't, we don't know. So then what is the rapture exactly? And what does the Bible say will happen during it? Yeah. So there are some who believe that the Bible is talking about, uh, in the rapture that people just disappear and things like that. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Again, a lot of my favorite people believe that. My mom believes that. Um, my favorite, a lot of my favorite pastors and preachers believe that too. But I believe the rapture is simply another way to to refer to the second coming of Christ, where Christ will return. And the Bible says that all eyes will see him when he returns. So the believers will see him and we will ascend. So we will be caught up in the air is what the Bible says with him. So he will come. Um, like floating up. Yes. Yeah. I uh, like the visuals. I like the visuals yeah. of what you think, you know, based on scripture, what it will actually look like. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I was just telling you that I don't like flights whatsoever. So I'm like, huh, am I going to be afraid when that happens? Yeah. Let but- me tell you the funniest <laughs> thing is that Samuel said that on his way flying to Phoenix to record this podcast today that they were experiencing insane turbulence. And I was like, of course that was happening on your way to film a podcast about the end times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, I was quite nervous. Um, but um yeah, so I believe the rapture is really another word for the second coming of Christ, where we all eyes will see him, unbelievers or believers. And I think, well, I know the Bible does say that when he returns, there will be the resurrection of the dead, and then there'll be judgments right away. There's some who think that there will be the seven years tribulation before that, and there'll be the uh, the rapture where, again, people will disappear, and then the Antichrist will, will come and, you know, um, or will appear in the seven years. But um, I do believe in an Antichrist, but I don't believe that the um, that it will happen in the way that the Left Behind books kind of suggest. Okay, good. I'm very glad that you brought that up because I have a lot of questions about the Antichrist. According to the Bible, once all Christ followers are removed from the earth, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. This is when things are going to go like peak depravity, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, see, I, the, the, your audience is going to be like, oh, man, this guy. Because, <laughs> because, so, I think we are already in a tribulation. Well, I mean, it's very Sodom and Gomorrah-y. Yeah. That's not the, this is obviously not yes. like a very serious theological podcast. Yeah. I mean, you know, coming from me, the way I'm saying stuff. But like when I think about people transitioning genders and all of this kind of stuff, yeah. I'm like, that can't be good. Yeah. That well, certainly isn't a sign on the other direction. Yeah. I mean, we we live in a chaotic world, but I would even say that, you know, if you look at the, the first um, the, re- the reason why the Apostle Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians is that there were people in the early church, in the first century, Christians who were 
deathly afraid because they were suffering. There were wars happening. And, and he was reminding them, some of them were not even going to work because they thought, well, definitely Christ is coming back any minute. So what's the point of even, you know, working? He said, yeah. hey, go back to work because you don't know when he will return. I say that because we have been in the tribulation really since the beginning of the church. You've had Christians um, being persecuted um, um, by the Romans and um, by the religious leaders in, in Israel. And even now, over the last hundred years, I think you've had more Christians dying um, uh, in, in that time than in ever before combined in church history. So what I'm saying is that I think the seven-year tribulation, speaking of symbols, is really symbolic. I don't think it's a literal seven years. Interesting. Yeah. And now, and this is what you're talking about is controversial. Yes. So some people do believe, no, it's a literal seven years. Yes. Yeah. Some do. And um, again, this is not, it's okay to have disagreements on this. Um, I just feel like there's a, there's a lot of numbers in Revelation. Yeah. Because we've got the seven churches, we've got 666, the seven year tribulation, yeah. a thousand years, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I my my view of that of that is that it's mostly symbolic. I don't I don't believe that those numbers are literal okay. in that way. Um, so I know I know some take that view, and that's okay. But I think when you look at the tribulation, for example, we have it wouldn't if you know the seven year tribulation, as some people believe, it wouldn't really be any different than what's been happening in the church right now. Oftentimes, we're thinking about these things from our American context. But in Nigeria, Christians are already suffering. Um, That's a really good point. Suffering there, uh, in you know, in first century um, Israel or or you know uh, the Roman Empire, you had people suffering persecution there as well too. So China, right in the Middle East, you have so many Christians who are already in a tribulation, and they're already suffering from an antichrist. So then, is it possible that the antichrist is actually already here? Yes, even two thousand years ago. Um, the, uh, the apostle, the apostle John said that there are many antichrist in the world. So, it's, it's, so, 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 so let, let's remember, right? Christ okay. says that, uh, whoever is not with I, me is against me. Yes. So if you're against Christ, you're an antichrist. That's what it means to be antichrist. So every single person who is not a Christian so is this, an antichrist. So then are you saying that one of the, the symbolism things that you don't necessarily agree with other Christians on is that you think that they're, the antichrist isn't necessarily one person. Yeah. It could be many. Yeah. Now, I believe that. And if you've ever met a leftist, then you know that's definitely <laughs> correct. <laughs> just that's kidding, kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. No, you're not. No, no you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, again, the Apostle John says that, right? That there are many antichrists in the world. And he was referring yeah. to false teachers um, or people who hate Christ. Mm. So I do believe that there there could be a, a um, it, and it does seem to be that, it, that there is going to be how do I, a, a, an antichrist in that someone who really will embody Satan in a ways that other antichrist won't or can't. But primarily to be an antichrist really means to be a false teacher, somebody who hates Christ, somebody. So I would say that Hollywood is antichrist. I would say wow. that um, um, Islam <laughs> yeah. is antichrist. Any Anything that is against Christ is antichrist. 
I actually ran out of my Good Rancher steaks a couple days ago, but I was craving red meat. So I went to one of those real crunchy organic grocery stores to pick up an organic grass-fed ribeye. Now, it's been a while since I've picked up steak like that from the store, but I was like, whatever. It's one night. I'm sure it'll be just as good. When I tell you, it was one of the worst steaks I have ever had. I cooked it the exact same way as I usually cook my Good Ranchers meat, same seasonings, everything. And it was such hot garbage. The only reason I finished dinner is because it was getting late and I didn't want to stay up and make something else before bed. So if you're on the fence about starting a Good Ranchers subscription, here's all you need to do, okay? Make a one-time single purchase of a steak from Good Ranchers for you and then a significant other or friend. Have them over. Cook up one Good Rancher steak and one organic steak from the grocery. Make sure it's the same cut, season the same way. Then each of you must try half of each steak. Trust me, you will be so mesmerized as you enjoy the highest quality meat in America from Good Ranchers, which is sourced from small farms and ranches in middle America and completely conservative owned. Bonus, Code Clark gives you $20 off any box. Bonus, bonus, right now get $240 worth of free bacon with your first year of subscription. That's a pound and a half of bacon in every box. Bonus, bonus, bonus. Once you sign up, you're locked into your price and will avoid meat inflation. It will never change for you as long as you're subscribed. It's time for steak. Goodranchers.com slash Clark with code Clark for $20 off any box. That's goodranchers.com slash Clark with code Clark. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. So then when it comes to the number 666, the mark of the beast, could it be any sort of mark? Because this is another thing. Everybody's talking about these chips that, you know, everyone wants to put in us. Some Christians are like, guys, that's not it. It's going to be a literal 666 tattoo on your hand or whatever. Some say, no, it's going to be the chip. Yeah. What are your thoughts? You know, it's funny. uh, I think it was just yesterday. One of my friends, I'm originally from Canada, as you know. Uh, and um, apparently Canada is going to have digital IDs now. And one of my friends said, oh, Sam, you know, <laughs> and I said, you know, with anything, you know, Canada, I mean, not talk about antichrist and, you know, tribulation there. Right. But but I also think the the mark of the beast is also not literal. I think it's symbolic. I think it signals um, it signals control of the mind and control and, and your hands. So that could be thoughts, our freaking iPhones. It, it, yeah, so I think any I think I think the mark of the beast is is um, a person who is um, who is not who is not with Christ, right? So the mark really, of the beast is yeah, a person. No, the mark. I think the mark of the beast is somebody is 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 a sign that somebody is controlled by by Satan, which is really every unbeliever, right? So a lot of times, so for example, when it came to the vaccine. A lot of people were very afraid that the vaccine could be the mark of the beast. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Right. But also, according to scripture, you have to choose to get that mark. Like, you know what you're doing, right? Yeah. Because they're saying you'll be able to get food with or without this or you won't. And so then people are going to have to, even self-proclaiming Christians, right, are going to have to make that choice then. Am I going to get this so I can feed myself and my family or no? Yeah. So I think a lot of, um, a lot of Christians hold a different view. But I would say that even then it's referring to um, allegiance to Christ. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you're a Christian in this society, you are going to be you're going to suffer one way or another. Uh, again, if you're in Nigeria, or you're in China, you're in the Middle East and you're a Christian, 
you're going to suffer financial uh, financial losses over this issue. Or even now in our society, if you reject leftist thought, if you reject a lot of the anti-Christian messages going around, you will suffer economically and financially over this issue. And I think, it's refer- I think the mark of the beast is referring to that. And there are people who do make an active choice. Uh, everybody who follows Christ, by the grace of God, they choose to follow him because Christ first chooses them. But those who do not choose him are those who choose the mark of the beast, who choose symbolically to identify with Satan. What are the seven churches that Revelation talks about? I think um, he's he in the, he is it's referring to actual churches in the in the, the early church, but it's also um, in our in our time for us to understand what he's saying. It's it's dealing with different kinds of churches in general, in terms of um, their whether they're following Christ or and some of their struggles. So it's it's a it's a sincere letter to churches in that time, but it's also really, again, I think symbolically dealing with different kinds of churches and whether they are false churches or whether they are healthy churches or whether there are churches that are being tempted to reject Christ and follow a false gospel. I mean, immediately I think Hillsong, Bethel. <laughs> you said it. I'm, 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 um, yeah, I would say that um, Bethel, Bethel or Hillsong, and I used to really love, especially Hillsong, but they they teach prosperity gospel. They teach a word of faith gospel that is um, that is um, not in line with what the Bible teaches. Yeah. I think that's important. And that's a very hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. I think a lot of people are like, okay, okay, I understand that biblically their teachings may not be good, but I love the music. And I mean, I discussed this in depth with uh, Doreen Virtue on season one of the podcast. And so we went into that if that's something you're interested in. But I had to say that when you brought that up. I was like, (laughs) well, if the shoe fits. Um, Is it possible? Now, this floored me when I started to think about this. Is it possible that the United States won't even exist when the end times happen? Um, It's possible. I mean... Rome was the, I mean, Rome was America, um, you know, a thousand or 2000 years ago and Rome fell infamously. And yeah, it's very, very possible that when Christ returns, America will not be uh, America, that it will, again, if Christ can come back in 2000 years and not perhaps just two days from now or two years from now. 2,000 years from now, America perhaps will not exist as a country. Um, now, that's not saying we want that, but the reality is we really don't know when Christ will return. No one can predict. Um, for t- for 2,000 years, people have been trying to say Christ will come at a certain time, and clearly they've all been wrong over the last 2,000 years. So it's very possible that, yeah, when Christ returns, that America will not be uh, will not be around. Now, something that conservatives, I think, say a lot and get caught up in, and this may or may not be correct, but I think naturally they want to say and assume that the Antichrist will be somebody who's in progressive politics. This is going to be a staunch leftist, you know what I mean, that's yeah. running child drag shows or something. <laughs> but I mean, is there any indication that the Antichrist will have anything to do with progressive or conservative politics? Yeah. Um, this is going to offend a lot of people probably, but, um, the, the Bible says that Satan appears as an angel of light, which means that he appears as an innocent, good guy. If you're a conservative, 
you're not going to embrace an antichrist if they are a progressive. You're much more likely to embrace an antichrist if they appear like a good conservative. I don't know. Again, I, there are many antichrists, and uh, I do believe that there will be a particular leader um, that will be um, an antichrist. But it wouldn't surprise me if they were a conservative. Um, You're right. But if they're openly conservative, though, then the people on the left aren't necessarily. OK, so this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around, because you're saying, well, if it's a progressive, then the conservatives aren't going to fall for them. And the Bible says this is going to be somebody that everybody falls for and thinks is like the best person. But then the left wouldn't fall for them either. But are you saying because the left is already predominantly they're not Christian, um, then like they're out of the equation? Yeah, I I I, I don't know how it will all fall together, but we do know that the that um, the so so you have to remember that and that 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 conservatives, um, progressives, leftists, all these groups, if they're not Christians, while they may disagree on certain things, on the essential things, they're united. Um, so just to give an example, I oftentimes say that white supremacists and critical race theorists, and we all know this, but they're on the same side. Mm -hmm. But they think they but are. they're different. But they're on the same side. Yep. Um, and I think it's similar, sadly, with just conservatives and leftists in general, if they are not Christians. So Just worshiping political leaders and yes, stuff. Yeah. Yes. I or, fully agree. Yeah. Or again, as Christ said, that if you're not with me, you're against me. So it wouldn't really surprise me if there was a leader that was able to unify leftists and, and conservatives against Christ. Because the reality is, again, if you're not with Christ, whether you are conservative mm. or, a, or a liberal, um, you've embraced antichrist uh, theology. Why do you think every generation feels like we are the people who are going to experience Jesus coming back? Is that just natural? It is natural. It's because there's nothing new under the sun, right? So um, again, as I as I mentioned, even in in the Apostle Paul's time in the early church, they rightly believed that Christ could come back at any moment. It is natural for us to believe that Christ will return in our lifetime because the Bible does suggest again there's nothing holding him back from returning at any at any minute. Therefore, when we see so much chaos in our society, um, and generally, oftentimes, you know, one generation is seeing how their generation is getting worse than the other, and they think this can't possibly go on past our lifetime, and that naturally leads to them thinking that, yeah, Christ has to return back, um, you know, in our generation. But, um, but that's of course not always. Well, not always. It hasn't been the case for for two thousand years. So, uh, because there's nothing new under the sun, because sin just continues to increase, um, uh, people tend to think that way. What is important mm. to understand about Israel in regards to the end times? Mm. The Bible says that all Israel shall be saved or will be saved. Um, it doesn't mean that every single Jew will be a believer, the same way that not every single Gentile will be a believer. But it does mean that God has a, a, um, a special covenant with Israel that um, that will lead to uh, that will um, that will have a major impact in the, in his return, but in terms of how that will happen exactly, I don't know. But what I do know is is that for a long time, um, obviously, where 
um, we're seeing so many, um, so many Jewish Christians now, Messianic Christians, um, where the gospel is being preached to to all people across the world, and of course, a lot of um, Jews have also embraced Christ Himself. Um, so, in terms of the end times, again, there are different views on how this will happen. There are many who believe that uh, Israel will become a Jewish, uh, will become a a Christian nation. Um, I'm not quite sure of that, but I do know that the New Jerusalem um, is a sign again of God's special relationship with uh, Israel as um, uh, through his covenant. I have to ask, and I'm just scared to ask it because I know I'm going to get wrong for this, but where do we go immediately after death? I had mentioned purgatory earlier. Is there any biblical support for purgatory? I know there are a few Catholics. <laughs> yeah. Quite a few. Which is great. Um, I love the Catholic conservatives. We just yeah. disagree. Yeah. No, there there isn't any biblical support for it whatsoever. There really isn't. The Bible is very clear that absent, if you're a believer, um, absent from the flesh is to be present with Christ. Um, and then if you're an unbeliever, the Bible says is that... Um, um, I'm forgetting where it's, but it says there, there, there's death and then judgment. It's immediate. When you die, you are either with Christ or you are in hell. Um, there is no in between. There is no, God is not it's schizophrenic where he's not sure where you stand. If you're not with Christ, you will be, um, you will be in hell, uh, not purgatory. Do you feel that? That's the Catholics coming for us. <laughs> okay. Um, based on scripture, I'm very excited to ask this question. Based on scripture, what will heaven be like? Hmm. Um, we know, it's funny, I was having a talk with my, with my um, wife about this, uh, Annie, and we oftentimes over-spiritualize heaven to a certain extent. When we look at the Garden of Eden, and uh, we have a very brief look as to what it was, but things like work mm -hmm. came before the fall. Yes, I have we, questions about this. We oftentimes think that work um, is a result of the fall because, let's face it, because of sin. No, we, but there, but Adam and Eve's jobs were to take care of the garden. That's work. Exactly. They were gardeners. Exactly. And then also we know that heaven is not somewhere in the clouds, right? Heaven will be on a new earth right, in New Jerusalem. So- that's will, my, That right there is mind-blowing to a lot of people probably. Yeah, so um, heaven will be, will be um, uh, us in a glorified body, right? We will have a body, but without, without decay, without sin, without um, the fall. Uh, so we'll have a glorified body. There'll be no sin. We will be with God. Um, uh, he will be our God and we will be his people as Revelation says. Um, and we will have complete joy in him forever. We'll be worshiping Christ, but we will also be doing work. Um, I don't know what that will look like. Um, the Bible's not very clear on that, but we know that we will do the things that God had created Adam and Eve to do in the Garden of Eden. But now it will be even better because now we will not just be made in his image, but that would be made in the image of Christ because of Christ's death and resurrection. So it will be an even greater, it will be good, better news than anything that Adam and Eve had before the fall. 
So we brought up um, our mutual friend, Allie Beth Stuckey, and I love she had a episode a couple months ago that I loved. And she was talking about how all of us will have a job in heaven. And then I started thinking about what job would I want to be my heavenly job? If God asked you, Samuel, what do you want to do in heaven? And you could have any job in heaven. What would you want your heaven job to be? You know, honestly, it'd be writing. That's, I love that. That's my, that's what I love. And you know. You think there will be a newspaper in heaven? <laughs> I, I, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's a great question because God gives us gifts for a reason. Yeah. And again, I don't want to speculate too much, but. I struggle to believe that we're going to be entirely different people. We're not. We're going to be who we are without sin. So the same skills that we have on earth, I believe we're going to have in heaven as well. So maybe I'll host the Heaven Podcast. <laughs> You'll be the editor of the Heaven newspaper. I love it. I love it. Although there will be no fake news in heaven. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, so another hot take I have about heaven is that I don't think dogs go to heaven. I think you're correct, in part because I hate dogs. And I don't, e there's, there's I don't either. Now people are like, oh, they are really going to hell, hell. Well, <laughs> one, one of the things I love most about Annie is that she doesn't like dogs either. Oh. If she liked dogs, this couldn't work. I, I, I'm not I, a pet I, person. Yeah. Yeah, we're the same way. I can't stand pets. Um, I don't mind other people's pets, but I don't want to have a pet. Yep, um, I'm the same way. But I, I, it, there, there, there are, there are indications that there will be animals in heaven. Um, but when it comes to dogs, I, I, I don't quite know. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what kind of animals do not have souls. Right. Yeah. So, but, um, in terms of, again, the new earth and a new, um, and, and the new heaven in the new earth, it's plausible that there would be animals in this new earth as well, too. Since again, they precede the fall as well, too, that it is possible. With dogs, though, I'm assuming that, no, there has to be something better than dogs there. Maybe there will be, like, if dogs go to heaven, there will be the biggest fire hydrant you've ever seen. <laughs> okay. Will we be married in heaven? No. Uh, well, yes and no. In that there will be one wedding in heaven and is the glorious wedding between Christ and his bride. Which is the church. The church. But... Um, but individual marriages, no. The Bible, Christ says that there will be no marriages uh, in heaven. Do you think we'll know our spouses in heaven or like it's just somebody you wave to and you're like, hey, but you don't know of any of your past earthly connection to each other? Yeah, I. Um, every indication points to us knowing people because, you know, if we're going to be worshiping God and we will be, of course, it's because we will be grateful for everything that um, we remember from our, our our time on earth. And that includes um, his blessings in, you know, marriage and family. And um, like I cherish my mom, for example, she's been a, had a huge impact on my life. I can't imagine that I would be in heaven and that I would not be blessing God and praising God for his mercy and his love for me through my mom. So, um, in heaven, all of us will be a family in the same way that every Christian um, is a sibling to another Christian. But in terms of, uh, yeah, so I think we will, we will, we will remember um, all the people we know, mm. but 
but yeah, but but it wouldn't. I'm not quite sure how it would look, right? Because again, the Bible is not very clear on that. Yeah. So then, it's safe to say you do believe that we will be reconnected to lost loved ones in yes, heaven. Yes. That's going to be really comforting for yeah. people to hear. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I. Um. I don't know if I should say this because she's still alive, and I'm very glad she is. But, um, as I get older and I see a lot of my friends losing their parents, mm-hmm. um. I'm increasingly thinking about how, um, you know, mom, if you're watching this, I'm not saying, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying yeah. that, you know, inevitably you realize that your parents will not always be with you. All your friends will be with you. I have friends, uh, as you get older, you experience friends dying and I'm like, I will see them again. Yeah. Uh, and that's comforting. Um, so um, when we have that hope, um, I can't, Imagine that we would not remember our our loved ones uh, when we are in heaven. So how can somebody be absolutely sure that they will go to heaven? Mm. On our own, on our own, no matter what you do, all your works, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you go to church, no matter how good you try to be, on your own, as the Bible says, there's nothing good in you, nothing. If you're just trusting in yourself, you have no hope of trusting that you really are a Christian. But if you are trusting that God became a man through a miraculous virgin birth, that, um, that in Christ, he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, taking your sins and then offering you, giving you his righteousness so that if you have faith in him, that if you believe in him, God declares you righteous, that God being just, he's able to punish your sins in Christ and declare you righteous because of his son. So you can be sure that you are a Christian if you simply believe in who Christ is and what he has done and that he died and rose again for your justification and that right now he's interceding on your behalf and he will return soon to glorify you. So you can have hope simply because of Christ. Is salvation ever something that we can lose? If we've prayed that prayer before, if we've repented of our sins, if we've known that Christ is our Savior, is it something that we can lose and then gain back? Or mm. once saved, are you always saved? Mm. Um, it's important to say that a prayer doesn't necessarily save anybody. A lot of people have you know, the sinner's prayer. Saying words doesn't save you. Mm. It is the belief and the genuine repentance, the genuine dependence on Christ, the genuine desire to follow him, right? But even then, again, it's not even, it is our faith in his death and resurrection. It is what Christ has done who saves us and we receive it by faith. Um, But when somebody believes in Christ, they are saved. Um, In um, John... John 10, um, Christ says that my, my sheep follow me. Um, um, my, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Um, and I will never, ever um, lose them. So Christ has, has promised. The Bible also says, this is a, the Apostle Paul, who says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Christ is saying, I will finish what I have started. We can fail. But God cannot fail. Yeah. So if you become a Christian, if you genuinely follow Christ, 
it will be him that will be even if he has to drag you and he's been dragging me you know for a long time all of us yeah he will he will drag us uh by by his grace to completion so if you are if you are saved you will stay saved what um do you want to say to people listening that are like well i totally disagreed with his with this guy's theology that's okay um I've had a change of mind in my theology, so I've disagreed with myself in the past. Yeah. Right? So that's okay. Um, it's okay to disagree with me. Just don't disagree with what God says in the mm. Bible. So look at the Bible yourself. Read the Bible yourself. And I'm not, um, I'm not inspired. I'm not authoritative on my own. But the Bible is authoritative. The Bible is reliable. So disagree with me. That's okay. You'd be wrong, but you can disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> but just read your Bible and believe what it says. Talk about where people can read more of your work and follow you on social media. Yeah, people can find me um, on um, slowtowrite.com. They can find me on social media at slowtowrite. And since um, it is um, Easter, um, by now, I will have plenty of uh, videos. I'm doing a podcast. So oh, congratulations. A, thank you. I figure, let me just try and copy you a little bit. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, oh my gosh. Wait. So do you know the name or anything yet? So slow to write podcast, slow to speak. Brilliant. I know. Brilliant. Seriously. <laughs> that is so good. That's so really? good. Oh, I thought, I thought it was cheesy. No, but... <laughs> I love it. Okay. So is it, a th it's a theology podcast, I'm assuming. Yeah. It'll be, um, theology, culture, things like that. So but... news happening in the day, but through a biblical lens yeah. type of thing. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm assuming that'll be anywhere you get your podcast so people yes. can find it yeah. right now and subscribe. Yes, they can. <gasps> How exciting. Yeah. See, we're recording this in the past, <laughs> but this will be in the future. <laughs> so that's awesome. Okay, so I've never asked a guest to do this, um, but I would love it. Do you think you could pray over my audience before we go today? Yeah, yeah. I would love yeah, that. I would love okay. that. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that all of us, um, though we are sinners, we can come to you and ask you for, uh, for mercy, ask you for grace because of your son, Jesus Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection. Father, we pray that we would um, trust, not in anything, not in any other voice, but your voice, that we would rely on your word, that we would read your word, that we would believe your word, that we would obey your word. So Father, help us not to just be so focused on the leftist and conservative thinking, but let us remember that what is most important is that are we with Christ or not? That are we saved? Are we believing in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us. So, Father, bless the people who are listening. Um, Father, um, if people have heard the gospel today, that let them, let them choose to follow you. Let them choose to repent and believe in your son, Jesus Christ. In Christ, I, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Samuel, for coming on The Spillover. Thank you. Just to be straight up with you, this subject matter is so, so, so over my head and debating theology really gives me a headache. So I wanted to do an episode like this for Easter weekend. But also, if you really like this, unfortunately, I probably won't do anything similar again because it is just not within my interview hosting comfort zone. But I really adore Samuel and his wife, Annie, who came to. And I was just glad that he could be the person that I did have this conversation with. Also, cannot wait for his podcast, Slow to Speak, to come out, which uh, I believe is coming out this month. I also want to say... 
for my Catholic cuties. I hope that you'll have a sense of humor about my jokes and not burn me at the stake. The Cute Servitus Facebook group is a great place to hash out your thoughts on this conversation and all things end times. Next week, I am having the author of one of my all-time favorite parenting books on. I have absolutely raved about it, so maybe you can guess who it is. We're focusing on kids being in nature and outside play. Every week, The Spillover drops Thursdays at 9 p.m. Pacific or midnight Eastern on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want the visual version of this podcast, subscribe to Poplitics on YouTube. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Bye.